This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Hello and welcome to the Independence Coronavirus Podcast. I'm Lucy McInerney, Assistant Editor of The Independent. This podcast is about getting behind the headlines and into the issues we are all facing during this COVID-19 pandemic. Today, I'm joined by Kate Cooper, Head of Research Policy and Standards at the Institute of Leadership and Management, and Vanessa Jeffrey and David Liversage, People and Culture Consultants at Human4, to talk about managing your mental health as we live our lives in lockdown, and how best to support your employees and colleagues as more of us than ever work from home. Thank you all for joining me. Um, Kate, I'll start with you. Um, what would you say is... Um, the best way for business leaders and managers to support their staff and and colleagues as we're all working remotely and we can't have that, you know, vital face-to-face interaction that we're all used to. I think especially for those people who have suddenly flipped to home working, all the things that we rely on every day to give us a sense of what's going on in the organisation, in our teams, with our colleagues, which is essentially essentially personal cues, we pick up body language, tone of voice, we can even see how busy people are from across the office, we can see how receptive they are to interruptions, we're picking up so much more and we choose our moments to communicate. When they're at home, we don't have cameras on all the time. We have no sense of what is going on for our colleagues when we communicate with them. And I think that's the most difficult switch to be really understanding that you're sending out a communication and you don't know what it's like for them because you cannot see what it's like for them. And similarly, even with Zoom calls, video conferencing, you don't know what's going on in the background because they might have all sorts of things happening. Children, elderly relatives, fighting for workspace with partners, teenagers back from university. Who knows what chaos people are experiencing? So I think you start with how is it for you? What is it like for you? Before you even get to the problems that we know from our own research, most people struggle with remote working. There's this fine balance between over-engagement, which might be experienced as micromanagement, and the sort of laissez-faire, off you go, let me know if you're having any problems. 
So it's really that checking in. And the thing about flexible remote working, it's only flexible if it's flexible. And it can only really be flexible at a team level. You can't have big flexible policies for big organisations because then they immediately are not flexible. So it sounds as though, you know, the role of, of trust between teams between managers and and the, the the people that they they look after and then also colleagues is very important so i know that um you know as you said it's very easy to see how busy somebody is when you're physically in the room with them how would you say is the best way to kind of establish that trust with your team figure out you know are people pulling their weight are they doing their fair share but also are people making like making sure that people aren't taking on too much how would you say that is best enacted when you are all working remotely? You start from a process of negotiation. I think there's nothing better in these situations than a degree of transparency and honesty. So the whole team, not 15 or 20 people, you know, a, a team of four or five, how are we going to ensure some degree of equity before, between all of us in terms of effort? How are we going to communicate and indeed moderate, modify our expectations of each other because of that making allowances for individual circumstances? I think in situations like this, you want people to communicate. You want them to talk to each other. You don't want to be the centre of a communication wheel. Everything goes through, through you because that's not really going to help with morale. So I think the first point is let's get together. Let us agree how we're going to do this. What are our ground rules? What's going to work for us? So David and, and Vanessa, I know that you have spoken an awful lot about the importance of, of say self-awareness, but also purpose. And I think purpose is a huge amount to do with um, making yourself feel kind of balanced and, and achieving a state of equilibrium when you're working from home. How exactly do you, um, how would you advise people to kind of find their purpose and um, ensure that they still feel like they're a valued member of the team when it comes to the employee interacting with their superior? Okay, so I'll start with that one. Um, I think purpose is such a big word. Um, and I think that a lot of people get almost overwhelmed when they have to think about what's my purpose in this situation during COVID, during the next two, two or three months, however long this is going to happen. And I, I, I feel that um, the best way to deal with um, thinking about the purpose, your purpose in, with, to do with work and then just, just generally further than that is to just break it really down to what is my purpose today? What have I got to achieve? It, it, it's bringing it right back down to, to baby steps and um, I think people that focus too much on the bigger purpose um, can, can get um, a little bit a little bit overwhelmed. But it's about connecting into what you're all collectively trying to achieve, and and feeling like you're still part of something, even though you're all segregated at this time. And it's uh, very much about knowing your why, which I'll let David uh, talk about because. This is very <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Vanessa. Yeah, understanding your your why. Why do you get up in the morning? Is is you know something we all sort of work towards, really, beyond obviously the obvious, which is paying our bills and making sure we can pay our mortgage. Which you know, I know there's a lot of anxiety out there at the moment. Um, but, you know, you're not necessarily going to find that why, as Vanessa said, in a day. It's, you know, I think this will be a period of self-reflection for people because we are slowing down a little bit. 
we have more time to think because we're less running around the cities that we work in. Um, so kind of over that period to just start kind of observing yourself a little bit and reflecting on things that you're really passionate about, <laughs> things that you really resonate in, things that you just feel you're in the zone when you're, when you're doing really. So you can kind of be a bit of a self-observer over the period. I think the just one final thing I'd like to say on purpose as well is this is a great chance for leaders just to really remind people of organisational purpose as well beyond making money. So the Nightingale Hospital at the moment, you know, uh, uh, my partner works in, uh, in health care, was saying that um, they've actually, they're actually doing an induction down there uh, when people are at all the nurses and doctors with a video reminding them of the great work that they're doing with kind of contributors thanking them etc just to really give them a sense of war effort and the value that they're adding and i think we can translate that into organizations as well as leaders become more authentic and say right okay guys this is what we're working towards this is our role in, in society um, and Kate, in, in terms of that kind of the importance of, of a leader um, conveying the, that sense of why, that sense of purpose back to their, um, to their employees. I mean, it's one thing when you've got what you've called uh, before, you know, the energy in the room when you're all physically sitting there and you're all kind of in the trenches together, as it were, physically. How can you kind of try and replicate that and the value and, and the impetus of that energy in the room? when you're all sitting, God knows how many miles away from one another, maybe the odd time looking at each other on a Zoom co conference call, but most of the time probably dealing with one another over Slack instant messaging or email. I think firstly, it's a recognition of what an important social purpose work fulfills. Some research we did earlier this year, over 70% of people cited their colleagues as a reason to stay in the job that they were in. We love going to work for all sorts of reasons that, as David has said, are not just about paying the bills. We like company. We like socialising. So I think, although it's much more in contrived when you do it remotely, you have to build in those social parts to the day. I've heard of financial services teams having weekly quizzes, people getting together and having wine at the end of the day or pizza. All of these things sound so, as I say, contrived, but you have to do them because they're not going to happen naturally. And I think particularly for people who wouldn't initiate those sorts of activities, but might go along with them if they're in the room, you have to almost have a three-line whip on enjoyment and socialising. You will join in, it's expected of you. And I think it's a bit like, you know, if those of us who aren't really that keen on going to the gym, it's an awful idea, but once you're there, it's an awful lot better than you anticipated. And I'm already hearing about people having a load of fun doing this. So be very conscious about trying to put into work the working day the things that people like and not make it just about progressing tasks. I think the other thing as well that's important to consider um, and I suppose all three of you will have things to say about this because it applies to all of us whether we're in lockdown or not is the idea of technological overload like I know that I'm dreadful for having my phone stuck to my hand whether I'm writing an email or sitting on the sofa watching tv at night so you know how is it that we can try and um balance the amount that we're, we're engaging with with technology both for work and then for good you know healthy socializing with colleagues or our friends and family but then also making sure that we're 
taking time away and not and that, that time away from that technology is because that is our only way of interacting with people at the moment outside of our family groups within the home how do we make sure that we don't go so far the other way away from technology that we end up feeling isolated yeah i think it's about establishing a healthy balance absolutely and healthy boundaries with that so you know don't sit and log on at nine o'clock in the morning till eight o'clock in the evening make sure you take regular breaks you know, some people I've been working with have reduced meeting times instead of to the hour to 45 minutes to give people a chance to get up and move around. Um, beware of overload. You know, sometimes we're kind of making ourselves over busy as a way of coping <laughs> because we don't have to think about all the other stuff that's going on. Um, so just kind of being really mindful of, of that. And, um, you know, I, I, I'm a great advocate of mindfulness. Um, to give yourselves those breaks just to be. Um, so one technique, which is really simple, if you've not practiced mindfulness before, is stop, pause, breathe, and reset. <laughs> um, so we can do it now, guys, if you want. It would literally take us probably 20 seconds and your, your listeners can join with us. Um, so we literally, it's that awareness of, okay, I think I've been online now for three hours. I'm a bit zoomed out. So that's my stop. So I'm going to take a pause. I'm going to sit in my chair. I'm just going to close my laptop for a minute. And I'm just going to take my focus internally and just lower my gaze or close my eyes. And I'm going to take a gentle breath in through the nose and out through the mouth. And my thoughts will still be going around, but each time a thought comes in, I just gently shift my awareness back to my breathing in through the nose and out through the mouth. And one more time, in through the nose and out through the mouth. And then I just give my feet a little wriggle, my toes a little wriggle, my fingers a little wriggle. I mean, that took probably 20, 30 seconds. You know, even if you do, you don't have to sit on the cushion for 10 hours a day. Even if you do that stop, pause, breathe, reset, it can give you some healthy breaks. Um, the other thing is treats or cups of tea, obviously. But, make sure you have those and walks in nature as well or a walk i should say per day i think also just having boundaries setting boundaries lucy so that um you know that there, there is times where you're wanting to be connected that you you know it's very important that you do speak to people feel included um feel part of the working environment feel part of the team that you are still part of um, but I think it's also really important to, you know, set a strict sort of routine to your day to make sure that you are giving yourself that time to do exactly what Dave has just said. And then there's sort of, there's ideas that have come out out of all of this um, to, you know, go and read a book and then get online with your friends and discuss it, come up with book clubs, you know, then there's another idea about the, there's the, the sofa chorus where you can have the laptop on, you're still connected via the internet, you're still connected, you know, digitally, but you're doing something physical as well. So it's, it's, it's about being creative with the technology rather than letting it dominate because sitting in front of a screen whatever the screen is for nine hours a day is very bad for your mental health i think the other thing that's interesting coming out of the idea of technological overload is just general overload and how that can manifest itself into into anxiety and i know i'm so, someone who suffers with anxiety it's something that i only kind of come to realize i've dealt with over the last year maybe and now i'm like oh that totally makes sense that I've had anxiety most of my life. I just never knew that that's 
what that was. I'm still not great at identifying when I'm suffering from anxiety or when it's starting to build and what my triggers are. So what advice do you have for people about figuring out whether or not they do suffer from anxiety and also just not necessarily anxiety as a disorder, but just anxious moments. And how do you go about identifying your triggers? Okay, I'll, I'm sure all three of us will have something to say about this. Um, but I, I'll start by saying um, I think most people have underlying anxiety of some uh, levels because of the nature of the world that we live in, which is data um you know saturation and our brains are constantly bombarded um with data and that's before this happened before corona so even more so now because we're we're you know taking even more data on on top of what we, we were already processing so i think that um it's important that you can recognize um how that feels how that manifests i mean there's classic symptoms that that show up but like you and, and many many others of us um uh, the, you, you live with it and maybe maybe don't know about it so it's just under having some having some self-care and some self-awareness around why did i react like that why am i feeling like that what's making me feel like that and actually taking some time every single day to do a bit of self-reflection and by by self-reflecting on how you're feeling and do you know what it's totally okay to feel a bit rubbish um every day because guess what everybody does most people do it's it's a human emotion um and i think you know acknowledging anxiety um, in, in whatever, where, wherever you are on the scale is the first step of actually being able to then cope with it a bit better. And I would just add, add on to that. I think, you know, becoming just kind of with the mindfulness as well, becoming the observer of your own thoughts. It's a weird thing to say that we are not our thoughts, but we're kind of not. Uh, you know, a lot of it's just noise or what if scenarios. What if two great words that can take us to heaven or they can take us to hell. And by being the observer and bringing awareness to our patterns, we're able to kind of step back and separate from getting caught in those trains of thought, which then bring on anxiety symptoms. And just one little thing that I'd add on to that as well is control the controllables. <laughs> you know, at the moment, uh, a lot of it is outside of our control and there's a bit of relief in accepting that you know, what's going on out there, you know, there's some great work being done. A lot of that is beyond our control. So just focus on what you can influence and what you can control today takes away a lot of what ifs because most of our what ifs don't happen. Um, and, and, you know, just learn to really focus on the things that you can, you can control. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. 
There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Kate, what about when it comes to um, when you're in the position of a manager or a business leader and um, the idea of when you're trying to support your employees, when you spot maybe a worrying trend or behavior from an employee, how on earth can you go about approaching that concern with that employee without um, seeming, uh, I don't know, busting out of the boundaries of what's appropriate within the workplace and what kind of amount of responsibility should you take on for for your employees and their mental health at the moment? I think an important starting place is to get to know what's normal for each individual in your team and you can do that quite quickly you know when they log on you know how quickly they respond to an email how quickly they phone you back how long their emails are indeed we are sending out cues all the time about our emotional state how we're feeling and just as both um you and vanessa have described not knowing sometimes why you're anxious it often is quite easy to see that somebody else is more irritable than usual more disorganized they're not being themselves and that's a great way to have a conversation and just like when we the mental health initiatives and campaigns that we work with with business in the community we say take time to talk just say how is it you don't seem yourself you seem a bit distracted overloaded however you want to describe that word in a non-judgmental way and give people the opportunity and often people will say oh you're right i am and then they can share but we still need other mechanisms support in place just like we would normally with EAP schemes, with HR advisors who are able to be the first port of call. There's so many resources out there. I think the important starting point is somebody cares, somebody's interested, and somebody has some time to listen to how it is for you. And then in terms of, say, um, the other side of the coin about the work-life balance, Kate, what... what um what kind of recognition should bosses be giving for, for work-life balance? I mean, you obviously, those of us that are working remotely, um, I suppose you feel the need to be online all the time because it is such extenuating circumstances we're all living through. But how do you, as the, as the boss, draw the line in the sand for your employees to say, no, it's really important for you to now log off from your work emails, check in with your friends and family, get outside for your one hour's daily exercise. How do you go about doing that um, without wanting to sound too much like mum, I suppose? Well, there's recognition that, you know, um, like email bans, 
they cause some people more anxiety than they call cause others a sort of a feeling of relief and exactly one size does not fit all but you know your team as a manager you know what works in your organization to a large extent so i think the best advice is to lead by example you can say we're not having any emails after five o'clock or don't expect any answers and give you people in your team say well actually i can only work between nine and midnight for what you know whatever reason at the moment and and therefore but it's it's that openness transparency let's all talk about it and i think at the moment especially for those people who are not used to working at home that the starting place has to be kindness, compassion, and understanding that, do you know what? You might not be as productive as you have been previously. I think for other people, actually, they'll really find it transformational in terms of how much they love not having to commute, not having to go to an office. But on the whole, too much going on to start, let's say, how, well, let's revisit our targets. How are we getting on? That's not, this is not the right time for that sort of language. And David and Vanessa? Well, yeah, I'd say this is the time really for leaders and organisations to truly put people first and to have that focus around well-being. So, you know, there should be 10 minute check-ins a day, which is not about task. It's about how people are feeling. Because sometimes people will become, people react in different ways. They might become withdrawn. So it might be, I noticed on the Zoom this morning, you're a little bit quiet. I just wanted to check in with you, see how things were going, if I could support you in any way, just to open up a conversation. So that should be done, I think, on a, on a kind of regular basis, really. And, and my input is that I just think that no matter who you are, what you're doing, you want to be seen, heard and valued. And um, that's what's so important to uh, take on. And like, exactly like Kate said, it, people have to work in different times given this situation, depending on what's going on with mm -hmm. them at home. But I think it's really important that every individual is seen, heard and valued more so now than ever, because you just don't know how people are reacting to this and, how it, and how, what impact it's having on them. What about then from the other side of the coin, rather than the, the boss or the manager to the employee, how, what kind of advice would you give to an employee who doesn't know how to broach these issues with a manager, with a, you know, um, a senior member of staff? Like how, how do they go about it and how do they do it without, you know, mental health is obviously something that we're talking about far more than ever before, but there definitely are people out there, individuals or businesses who maybe don't have the time or the experience in dealing with this. So how do you, what, what would be the best way for an employee who's maybe nervous working in an organization or for a person that doesn't seem to be the most open-minded when it comes to these discussions around mental health? What would your, your top tips be for them? Well, my top tip would be, you, you might be surprised and a lot of people um, that are in you know, managerial positions leadership positions have never had to deal with this sort of situation before and so it's all new to them as well and there's an element of managing upwards that is required in this situation but what's important is that you know self-care we look after ourselves and if that means breaking the status quo and actually you know saying how you're feeling and uh, and describing that to your line manager that's perfectly acceptable thing to do and actually I think it would um, build trust anyway. I think you'll find that most uh, good leaders and managers within organisations will be very open to hearing 
what they can do in order to best support. They don't have the answer. They don't have all the answers. This is unprecedented times. So actually they might be very, very willing to um, have the suggestions coming uh, bottom up. Yeah, I, I think I think it's about that. It's about about kind of building that kind of trusted relationship, but also for employees, kind of knowing who you go to people are, <laughs> both in your friends network, but also in the companies that you, you work within. And, you know, if, if, if you're part of a large team, you know, I've seen some teams over the last couple of weeks kind of getting people to buddy up just to do a check in each day to make sure everyone's all right, you know, kind of a bit of a sanity and sort of well-being check. So you can do it that way as well. So that you have got other people you can talk things through. Um, that might be also, you know, a, a friendly person in HR that you get on well with. Um, but I think as Vanessa said, I think we're changing the paradigm a bit really here. Everybody's experiencing their own anxieties and we're trying to find new ways of doing it. So, you know, those leaders that we perhaps thought were a bit unapproachable, you know, they're having to now really step up and and really you know look look what we've seen in uh, in Parliament you know and uh, how people are talking quite compassionately compared to when we were talking about Brexit only four or five months ago. So you know I'm starting to see that within organisations is now where the big focus is really on you know being well. And Kate, what about you from your perspective? Have you have you any thoughts on on the employee approaching the the leader as it were? What I've really been struck by recently is the number of self-organised support groups that have sprung up incredibly efficiently, well-organised, and that's another thing to talk about afterwards. But people who put calls out for help on social media are often inundated with offers of help and support. And there is a propensity, a willingness to help others, as David's identified, that wasn't really there a few months ago weeks ago even so we know that if you put a call out you're going to get somebody listening to you whether you use facebook whether you use a chat group whether you use your own informal whatsapp group that somebody will listen and somebody will help you i think you can be absolutely confident of that and that is a real sea change and i think in reaching out and as vanessa said you have to manage upwards you have to be able to say to your to your line manager i'm not coping this isn't going as well as i'd hoped or i'm finding it more difficult so that they can help you it's it's about not owning the problem yourself you know, you you're only really going to be resilient if other people help you this isn't something that you should should or could be able to manage on your own and what's interesting about that is that actually the research uh, suggests that you know the two things that make people happy in life, um, COVID-19 or no COVID-19, is practicing gratitude and actually being of service. So I think you'll find that most people, if they get to the end of their day and they feel like they've been of service to somebody else, manager to, you know, manager to manager, leader to, you know, it doesn't matter what level you're on, hierarchy doesn't really matter anymore. If you can get to the end of your day and have been of service to somebody, then it will also have a massive impact on your own mental health, which is probably why everybody's quite willing to, to, to be of service at this time. So, so a great question for everybody to ask at the start of every day, just to bring it back to the present moment is, how can I best be of service today? You know, and that might be calling a few members of the team or having that conversation with your leader. Um, but that gives you a bit of a focus to the day rather than just thinking about the to-do list. It, 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 you know, it gives you a sense of meaning and, and adding value. 
I think just before we, we finish up, I'd love to hear your top tip or your, the biggest lesson that you guys have learned over the course of the last two weeks of, of lockdown that you think um, people should take away from, from listening to this podcast. So, so I just said to David before we went on air, you know, it, my biggest regret would be in two months time when we start, hopefully start coming out of this, that I look back and, and think, God, I wish I'd done that when I had the time to do it. And I know that some of us are working harder. There's some professions I understand that are working even harder and faster than ever before because of the demand of the job. But there'll be many people that actually find themselves having a bit more time because of no commute. Um, and actually, I, I think the biggest learning from this is get to know yourself and, um, and have some time to actually have some self-reflection and use the time wisely because it will actually go before we know it. And mine would be three words actually, uh, love, humour and patience. Um, so when you're making decisions, are you making them out of fear or out of love? Um, let's keep things light where we can, obviously what's going on is very serious, but you know, getting some of those kind of uh, funny memes and stuff, sharing those on your WhatsApp group with your team, just keep spirits up. And then patience, you know, just really, again, going back to the mindfulness, just stepping back and allowing things to happen and accepting. That's been a real learning for me because I do things quite fast sometimes. So I've had to really step back myself and be patient. And Kate? And for me, it's if you can, and I'm talking particularly here as a manager of, of people, if you can keep some things normal, if you have a weekly meeting normally, keep having it on a Tuesday afternoon. So keep the routines in there, but also I think to remind people that however serious this situation is, it is a moment in history that we're all participating in and we are going to look back and people will ask you, what were you doing when COVID-19 was, was rampant? And we are going to want to formulate great answers to that and feel being part of something bigger and a part of history and knowing, I think, it is not forever. And that is a hard thing when the days are going so slowly. Well, thank you all very much. Remember that you can get in touch with the podcast team here to ask questions or suggest future subjects for discussion. So please email the coronavirus podcast at independent.co.uk. Alternatively, you can use the social media hashtag IndieCoronavirusPodcast. That's Indie with a Y. We would love to hear from you. You can read all the latest news and information about coronavirus on our website, independent.co.uk. There's also a new email newsletter you can sign up to to get all of the latest COVID-19 news and advice delivered straight to your inbox daily. There's more information on the website. Please subscribe to this series on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever you listen and leave us a rating or a comment so more people can find us. Thanks for listening. 